0: Hi, and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. This week's episode is a slightly different one. It is a conversation I had with David Rose, who was recording interviews for his show on the ABC about his great-great-grandfather or great-great-something, his ancestor. Who was a Jewish comedian, and we had a, a lovely long chat. There were only a few extracts of that that were put into the radio show, but I thought it was a fascinating conversation and I wanted to give it to you to hear so that 's what this week 's tea with Alice will be and Thank you so much to the Patreon supporters who let things like this happen. Um, I appreciate your support more than I can say, but I will say it anyway it 's an enormous amount um, and it it 's both kind of incredibly moving on an emotional level and has also allowed me to get through lockdown in a way that um, would otherwise just not have been possible. So thank you so much for that. If you don't listen to the last post, that's my daily satirical news podcast, set in an Alternate Dimension. That's more free content. It's extremely silly, and you can um, access that every day. I think it's six days a week now. Or I'm also doing a series on my Instagram of Instagram Lives that then get saved, um, and they are sort of little mini teas with Alice. They called "Welcome to Whatever This Is," or they're just called "Whatever This Is." I say "Welcome to Whatever This Is" at the beginning, and I started saying it, and I didn't stop. So I guess that's what it's called now. So you can head over to the Instagram. I think you can watch them without an account if you're not an Instagram. Uh, that's all I have to say. I will not ramble eternally. Thanks as ever to Ben Wren for doing the editing on these. Uh, he is fantastic, and you should um, you should support his stuff. Uh, Or just support him as a human being because he's an excellent person. That's all I have to say for now. I hope you are okay. Email me anytime, alisarafraser at gmail.com. I read all of your emails. I try to reply to all of your emails. If I don't reply to one of your emails, it's probably because it's too good and I've put it aside to answer at a later date and then um, it's fallen off my plate. But don't take it as an insult. It's probably just because I thought I can't answer this now. I'm on the bus and I want to give it a a good, proper attention and reply to it in a a proper way. And then, you know, what a disaster. Patreon.com slash Alice Fraser is the place to find all of my stuff. You can sign up there or even if you don't sign up, the opening page, the front page, has all of my stuff listed that you can get for free or for not free. That's all I have to say for now. Thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you next week. You're having tea with Alice. Who are you? I'm Alice Fraser. I am a a podcaster, broadcaster and comedian. And uh, if you want to know my kind of Jewish credentials, I guess, I'm half Jewish. My dad's side of the family is Jewish. Uh, My grandmother and my grandfather on that side are Holocaust survivors. And I think that is the part of my Jewish identity that is important to my idea of self.
1: The Holocaust survivors? That part is the part that's important?
0: For me, yes. For me, that is the thing that makes it important that I'm Jewish. It makes it important for me to maintain that identity because I'm not that Jewish. No. But I'm Jewish enough to feel how dangerous or precarious it is to be part of a minority I'm Jewish enough to have that a real sense in my gut that people and civilization and the social contract are all very fragile all very delicate all worthy of being preserved and certainly I think comedy is a way of um simultaneously poking at and destabilizing social norms and the social contract, and also reinforcing a sort of a, a safety feeling in that if you make people laugh, they can't hate you.
1: It's an intriguing parallel because your father side of the family are Jewish, so nominally you're not considered Jewish
0: no, but as I say, I would be Jewish enough to be in trouble.
1: Yeah, right. So your family experienced the dark side of anti-Semitism. Yes. I come from...
0: Rather than the light side of anti-Semitism. Well,
1: right, because I come from a similar background. My father's side of the family were Jewish, but on my father's side, we had this guy who basically made a living, basically profiteering off anti-Semitism to a you know better or worse Outcome, I think he really was um, uh, reinforcing those stereotypes, and of course it worked well for him. He made lots of money out of it, but I don't know if I think it's 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 a morally defensible thing that he did. You know, we have playbills of his that say things like "the greediest Jew in all of show business."
0: Yeah, well, this is the question, right? This is a big question. It's one of the reasons why uh, I left Australia. Obliquely, in that Australia has a has a comedy industry that rewards grotesque caricatures. It rewards other things as well, but a lot of the particularly female comedians who are very successful are incredibly intelligent, incredibly talented, incredibly um, good grotesques. If you think about some of the most brilliant comedy that's come out of Australia, you things like Kath and Kim, things like Dame Edna, things like The Catering Show are all to one degree or another a caricature of a type.
1: Yeah, in a sense they're almost vaudeville in their in their bigness.
0: Yeah, and I don't I don't I don't dislike that, but it's not the kind of comedy that I'm Drawn to doing myself.
1: So I want to give you some context, in part
0: because I feel like it sort of is is in, imbued with contempt in a way that I feel uncomfortable with, or that, a way that I don't feel like I would be able to do myself mm. safely.
1: So when when I say my great grandfather profiteered off of Jewish stereotypes, I want to give you some context. I'm going to send you two photos on Facebook Messenger. This is a portrait mm-hmm. that he had done of himself. Now, on the right side is him, and on the left side is his character that he performed on stage called Levinsky.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: That's
0: really interesting. I'd
1: be interested in in what you think, looking at those images.
0: That's upsetting. (laughs) It's not a thing that I would do.
1: No, and yet your comedy, you have spoken at length about your your grandmother's experience with the Holocaust about being a survivor. So what do you think is the the difference between the images you're looking at and the way you approach Jewish identity on stage?
0: What I like to do in my comedy is, is draw out the similarities between people underneath apparent differences to draw out a kind of a shared humanity and an empathy. I think that there is... It, that is a thing that is a feature of a very a very civilised society that allows me to do that. So I don't want to condemn your great-grandfather for his use of this kind of caricature because you can see you can see ways in which oppressed communities use and play with those stereotypes to either take the sting out of them for themselves to take them head on or to sort of dial them up and revel with them and play with them. That's the the function of the grotesque. As I said, I don't criticize the grotesque, even though it's not the kind of comedy I'm drawn to. You see it in things like uh, drag culture. That's an oppressed minority Mm. who have taken the insults and and stereotypes about their group and dialed them up to 100 and turned it into an art form and, and, and turned it into something... Sort of taken it out of themselves, these these slings and arrows, and and made an a, an art or a craft out of it. They've they've you know thrown. They've taken it out of themselves and used that insulting material to build something else. And there is entirely
1: there is an appeal in the grotesque. There's context. a
0: power in that.
1: You know, people like yeah. to look at themselves in funhouse mirrors, despite the fact that they actually look like that. They, you know, probably seek professional help. Yes.
0: Well, it's it's simultaneously it can be a, a, a can be a self-loathing. It can be a form of self-harm. It can be a pathology. It can be a way of defending yourself by saying all the bad things about yourself before somebody else gets a chance to. Whether that can be a healthy response or it can be an unhealthy response, it sort of depends on the individual. Um, But you and I have spoken
1: spoken before about seeing comedians on stage, um, you know, or YouTube videos of comedians or something where they will be telling jokes about being Jewish or being gay or whatever it is. But you get the sense that they're either in a weird way not accepting their own identity by playing into the jokes around it or... But bit lazily profiteering off of the worst impulses of the audience. Do you think that you have yes. a moral duty to um, push your audience further, bring them past those ugly stereotypes?
0: I mean, moral duty is putting it um, maybe higher than is useful. I feel like that's the kind of comedy I'm drawn to. That's the kind of creative challenge I'm drawn to. That's the kind of intellectual challenge I'm drawn to is – Pushing boundaries in that space, in the space of
1: but do you, I guess of, of I guess what I'm probing at here is do you see
0: complexifying things rather than simplifying
1: things? But you don't believe there's anything inherently, and this isn't me trying to get a gotcha out of you. I'm just interested. You, you do you believe that there is um, that there ought to be free reign on stage? So if I want to get up, dressed in the get-up like my grandfather was wearing, you know, and tell a bunch of jokes that really rely on on ugly emotions, is there no sense in which that is um, more than just comedy you don't like and actually straying into into dangerous territory?
0: Potentially damaging. So that's where context comes in. In the context of a society where anti-Semitism is rife and dangerous and people don't know anyone Jewish, having a and and people are afraid of Jews, for example, having a buffoon character of a Jew, someone who's always the butt of his own jokes, somebody who's always ridiculous and, again, grotesque, might be a useful thing in terms of beginning to break down that hostility and that fear. If you've never met a Jew and you only know the worst ideas about Jews, then having a silly, funny clown Jew is the beginning of a process of becoming familiar with the humanity behind the character. I
1: can can see that. In
0: today's society, you don't have that excuse. We have a networked society. You have access to people of all backgrounds. And so that kind of caricature, that kind of cartoon or grotesque would be, I think, uh, there would be no useful function for him in terms of of increasing humanity and i think that the purpose of comedy if we're going to come down to moral brass tacks i think that the absolute function of comedy in society is to increase the humanity in the world mm. increase empathy increase human connection so i think that if you were to dress up the way your grandfather did, it would be a different act, and it would be a different, and I mean that in, <laughs> even if you if you did the same act, it would be a different act. It would have a different function, it would have a different purpose, in the same way as uh, throwing someone a brick, if they're building a wall, is very useful, but if they're in the water, is not very useful. It's the same act, but it's a different context with completely different moral implications. I
1: can see that, yeah.
0: So I think nowadays it would probably be pretty fucking
1: inexcusable. (laughs) It's been interesting. I've been showing that image to a lot of different people to get their. It's such a great image to me because especially when you have it up on a phone, you can zoom in on the normal photo of him and then you can scroll across to the other one. And it has been fascinating hearing different people's takes on it. The owner of the comedy cellar in New York... uh, Laughed and said, "Oh well, gee, that's." Everyone has said it's ugly, and I said, Cause he's a he's a big free speech guy. He, you know, he's the first guy I let Louis C.K. back on stage after Louis's masturbation scandal. Um, mm, he mm. doesn't police what comics say, but I said, would you let this guy on stage? Because uh, mm. Noam, the guy who owns the cellar, is proudly Jewish, and it was interesting to hear a guy who is." is normally so in favor of free speech, um, not censoring people. That was a bridge too far for him. He said, I don't think I could let that on my stage.
0: That's really interesting because I know people who look quite like the caricature. <laughs> uh, yeah,
1: I guess there's a difference who between... Who have those
0: very exaggerated kind of Jewish features. So that would be an interesting question is, is when it's... I guess when it's in a cartoon or when it's a, yeah. well, a affectation.
1: Well, I would say in the case of offensive. my great grandfather, he wore so the nose was fake, the mm. bald cap, you mm. know, all that stuff. It was it was designed to elicit a response. And you, you've seen we see this in comedy all the time, where someone will walk out on stage wearing, you know, it could just be as simple as smoking a cigarette and wearing a leather jacket, and Immediately, the crowd goes, Okay, we know what we're in for.
0: Yes, yes. And I think that, again, like, not to. I think context is so important.
1: Yeah, and you do have to look at the time in what which he was, he was performing.
0: Doing, yeah, the time in which he was performing, mm. what he was doing was hitting certain buttons, which would be different from the buttons that that performance would hit now. Again, it might have been harmful i don't know but i can imagine a world in which him doing that would have been the equivalent of
1: drag what i would i would have loved to he he died in 1935 so he died mm. 2 years after hitler came to power but not really far enough into the third reich he died in london he he didn't really see the um genocidal beginnings of of the Third Reich or anything like that. And I'm sure there was persecution, but Jewish people have dealt with persecution I mean, a lot. I would have loved to see what would have happened to him had he lived through the war and come out the other side, whether he would have changed his act. Because my understanding is, I've spoken to some researchers about this, that the kind of old school vaudeville comedy that was all about, uh, you know, putting on this Eastern European Jewish accent talking about how much you love money, that died pretty much the same time as the war began because the the Jewish community at large felt we can't afford to be putting these things out into the world.
0: Yes, uh, which is the context thing. The the good thing that Hitler did was uh, make the world realise how dangerous anti-Semitism was. Up until that point, I imagine, up until that point from what I know of history, I, I can imagine that your great grandfather was operating in a world where anti Semitism was pretty fucking common and pretty well accepted. Mm, you know, I'm sure. you see sure. that in, in literature of the time, you see that, you know, the Mitford sisters, you see it was a, a fun um, it was a fun thing for many English people, aristocrats particularly, to be into eugenics and to be fascists in their sympathies. And it wasn't until there was this war, first of all, that pit uh, the British nation or the American nation against Hitler and everything he stood for that his anti-Semitism was recognized
1: for what it was as part yeah.
0: of as part of the evil project. You know, that the, the that the next step from dehumanizing Jews and stereotyping Jews was trying to get rid of Jews. Mm. So before that became before that became evident, before that process became evident, there's a question as to you know things like pogroms in the past. Um, but then what you were operating with was hostility in a social sense. And a way to break down hostility in a social sense is to put yourself down, make fun of yourself. That's a thing that people have been doing in high school since the dawn of time. If you have no power in high school, even though it is contempt, you will be the person who hits yourself in the head with a you know, rubber mallet. To make other people laugh, because at least if they're laughing at you, they want you around.
1: And that, you know, even that, if they
0: have contempt for you, remains
1: there remains there is a, a power of comedy, in comedy, doesn't it? I mean, you see, you know, every everybody who begins comedy, one of their first jokes at the open mic is, I know what you're thinking, I look like X Y Z.
0: Yeah, or as my friend Laura Davis says uh, about female comedians, tell them in the first ten seconds why they don't want to fuck
1: you. I like that one. That's I quote that a lot to people
0: take your own power away you, it's that it's that anyone who's had the impulse to be the clown in a situation knows that it, it it's a way of making yourself non-threatening it, or it's a way of ingratiating yourself if you're so far beyond the pale that no one wants anything to do with you This, so, you know it's better to be better to be slapped than it is to be ignored and it's better to slap yourself and have people laugh. You know, we, we desperately crave integration. And even if that's at the bottom of the heap of society, that self-deprecating humor, I think, has its role. It's not the kind of humor, as I said before, that I'm drawn to. It's not the kind of comedy that I like doing. I don't like putting myself down. I'll let other people do that for me. <laughs>
1: And you don't really, in fact, I find it really interesting in your new show, or at least the last time I saw you, you have a song that's specifically about not putting yourself down.
0: Yes, but in order to get away with that song, I have to lay a seed about two and a half minutes before. I mean, to counter the Australian tall poppy syndrome, and this is getting very inside baseball and a show that people won't have seen. Uh, I do a show about uh, wanting people to find me Sexy, But like not enough that they don't respect me. Mm. Sort of that difficult balance in kind of being a woman in the modern world and wanting to be a feminist and wanting to be respected but also kind of wanting everyone to have a boner for you but not in a way that would make them diminish you as a person. That difficult kind of... uh, The the line in it that the whole song grew out of is I want you to want to fuck me. I want you to want to bang me but I don't want to have to want to bang you. I just want to know I could make you want to bang me if I ever wanted to which I don't. Um... But in order to get away with saying that on an Australian stage, about two and a half minutes before I make a joke about uh, hashtag Instagram, love your body, and I say very specifically and very clearly before I begin that song, I say, I don't love my body. I'm fine with my body. All my my elbows are in the right places, and I probably do the right amount of poo. Can't that be enough? But I need to say that in front of an Australian audience Mm. because Australian audiences don't like people who... Big themselves up.
1: So I found this – I don't know if you've done stand-up in America. I don't know. But that's something I I I found fascinating in New York is that they don't have that. They absolutely
0: don't have that. If you're a beautiful woman
1: and you walk on stage, you'll do jokes about like, oh, it sucks being this beautiful woman that everyone wants. They'll just say it. It's quite – I guess there's a little bit of the ugly American in there where you're like, God, don't you have any self – you know – uh, any yeah, you get, you get real
0: culture shock when yeah. people are speaking the same language but have such different values about comportment. We and we would
1: call it self-awareness to say, oh, you know, gee, why don't you put yourselves down? But their version of it is like, I am aware of myself. I'm beautiful. I'm hot. Everyone wants me. Like they just. And you're like, well, you are. Yeah.
0: You, we, we we in Australia we don't like that. We don't like people who put themselves uh, who big themselves up, which feeds into the thing that I was talking about about putting yourself down. It's a way of, of ingratiating yourself.
1: Mm. But you know, isn't you're, it you're bizarre evil. that their way of ingratiating themselves is, and I think it goes deeper than that to just who they are as a people. They're they're a nation of sellers. You've got to sell mm. yourself constantly.
0: Carpetbaggers.
1: Yeah. So if you've got a if you've got a thing, whether it's you've got big tits or you're a muscular guy or you're really intelligent or whatever it is, that's forefront you you walk in the door with that and everything is sort of shaped around it i i found it fascinating
0: yeah i've never had more people tell me about themselves no oh, yeah very early you know in in the way that uh, normally in australia or in england you would not hear the phrase i'm a very compassionate person
1: yeah i heard someone describe uh, them as i america which i thought was <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm a very compassionate person. I'm a very generous person. I don't. Why are you telling me this? Unless it's, I, I've always found that sort of like, in terms of writing as as a writer, show don't tell. Mm. Why are you telling me this? It's completely. It means nothing to me until it's proven one way or another. So why are you saying it? Like that'll make me believe it.
1: Yeah. It, there. It's uh, like you said. Uh, what was it? Carpet baggers.
0: Carpet baggers. Yeah. Snake oil
1: salesman Yeah, a nation of... I love them. I've, I've really found them fascinating, but they are they speak the same language as us, but they're from another planet. Anyway, that's completely yeah, off topic. it is.
0: It's, 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 you get more culture shock there than in a place where you don't speak the language.
1: I would agree with that, yeah. I felt more comfortable in it, Asia than I have it's in... It's
0: that, that uncanny valley thing of because they're speaking the same language, you expect things not to be as different as they are, and you think you're familiar with American culture from American television, and then you realise they're just, they're different. <laughs> the way they think is different, the way they feel is different, mm. the things they react to is different, and they would react to those things differently.
1: Why well, have this joke that's not even a joke about how I was on the subway in New York, and um, I was with a friend, and we saw a guy that wasn't moving at all, was just lying face down, and I said, is he dead? And she goes, he might be dead, honey, but he's not our problem that to me is America in a nutshell
0: yeah yeah well the, the, yeah i I mean if we could we could talk about that forever the difference with Americans and uh, their odd odd sense that their cultural hierarchy is the result of a meritocracy which means that everyone deserves what they have mm. and if they haven't got more that's their fault for not working hard enough and Despite every piece of evidence, it makes you wonder what things your society and you are blind to when it is so evident in America. Well, I, so evident.
1: To, to draw this back around, that is not the case. I actually do think that is an interesting point. In that, I often feel if you're mired in a society, you would think that gives you more understanding, but sometimes I feel it gives you less because
0: yes, because you can't see what you can't see. You can't mm. see.
1: You can't see your like own the horizon eyeballs. of your of your society. And I, I found that speaking to people about Jewish identity, particularly because my struggle with it, my struggle, that is a terrible phrase to have used in, in this conversation. Um, <laughs> my <laughs> dilemma is that... Come for Yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. My dilemma is that uh, I wasn't raised Jewish at all, not even a little bit. My father's side of the family are Jewish. My grandfather went to temple a little bit, but my great-grandfather... Was quite religious and obviously had his whole thing on stage, and so by the time it trickled down to me, we had, we don't ha- really have any associations with Judaism or Jewish culture at all, and mm. so, and yet I feel a strong connection to my great grandfather, both through comedy and because I'm very interested in in history. I've read a lot about Jewish culture and I've read a lot about the Holocaust, and I feel it's a culture I identify with, and yet
0: mm.
1: I also feel like a an imposter because to mm. say I'm Jewish seems to me putting a claim to something that I don't really have any right to. I, w- I wonder what your thoughts are on that.
0: Oh, I, I mean, that comes into the specifics of identity politics, which I'm not the most educated person on. Um, I think you have a right to it. It's your heritage. It's your blood. It's, you know this is your family this is where you come from i there are different forms of identity there are things that are that are identities you cannot escape from that people in the society around you impose on you so things like if you're if you're a woman it's and you uh, very obviously a woman to the naked eye, and you present as a woman. It's hard not to identify as a woman. You might identify uh, as something else, but it's it's a part of your identity. Mm. Ugh, cut that bit. What I'm trying to say, well, woman isn't the, one, the
1: right one. I understand what you're <laughs> saying. I'll give you. I'll give so you. So I'll uh, try.
0: I'll give you. Give you another example. I'll give you another go in at that. So if you're a, if you are. For example, if you are Southeast Asian in appearance, that is an identity that you might not feel entirely in lockstep with, but it's an identity that the society around you will impose on you, assuming you're in a society like Australia Mm. where Southeast Asian appearance isn't the norm. If you're in Southeast Asia, you might not feel the need to even think of yourself as Southeast Asian because you're just a person Mm. (laughs) in that context until and unless you're exposed to so much American media that you start to feel alienated from your selfhood. You start to think of yourself by that externally imposed category. So there are different ways that identity works.
1: What's interesting for me is it wasn't... in I'd never had it imposed on me as a child growing up, and then I went to law school and started doing comedy. And with a name like David Rose, a lot of people just started assuming I was Jewish. And some of my friends, when I started comedy, were Jewish as well. And now, in the comedy scene, despite the fact I never really talked about my family history on stage or anything like that, people would just call me the Jewish comic. They'd be like, "Oh yeah, you know, you're a Jewish comic." Just yeah. purely because of Yeah, and that's interesting.
0: Green. It's when it's when you come up against things like that that your sense of identity whether it's something that you're expressing for yourself because it's something you're proud of, it's something that you identify with on a personal level, it's something you feel affiliated with, when that comes up against people's assertion mm. onto you, the, the placing onto you of that identity, oh, you're Jewish, even though you quite like the idea of You're
1: calling me Jewish, the right thing for the wrong reason.
0: Yeah, it's a sudden, you know, you you want to be able to feel like you have at least some sense of control over the way in which people engage with you rather than using you as a proxy for a group of ideas that they have in their head. And that's, I think, where anti-Semitism is so dangerous, where an individual is seen as a proxy for a group of undesirable traits. Or even if they're desirable traits, it's a dehumanization of that person into it's, a, it's subsuming them into a group Thought Like just, uh, you're erasing their individuality.
1: And yet, you know what my funniest, the funniest response I've heard to this yet was? I was speaking to uh, a professor of Jewish history and comedy. Actually, you'd probably be really interested in this. Just as an aside, this book is very, very good. It's called The Jewish Joke. And it's by mm. Devorah Baum. Devorah Baum. I still don't know how to say her name. Um, really good. David Baddiel, um helped her write it. Anyway. I was talking to her on the phone and saying, gee, I don't know if I'm Jewish or not. You know, I have this sense of identity. She just goes, stop right there. You're very neurotic. You're a Jew.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's such a fascinating thing, that whole process. Identity is such a mutable thing. I guess where it's relevant and useful to you, you should feel comfortable Mm. with it. But certainly the, the process of wrestling with anything is a very Jewish thing. If you look at the Torah, the original text, it's one of the most beautiful things about, I think, the Jewish religion, is the way in which the text is laid out. If you have a chance, you should look at a Torah. You have the central text, uh, which is the original, the Old Testament, and around that you'll have the Discussion and argument in a, a margin around the central text and then you'll have the around that You'll have discussion and argument about the discussion and argument that process Dispersive. of argumentation that process of dialectic that process of, of uncertainty and and Wrestling is integral to the Jewish religion to the Jewish identity uh, My granny always used to say never trust a rabbi who believes in God
1: that is a very good you, you, quote.
0: Two Jews, three opinions. There's all these sayings that I think go to the heart of that of that that struggle with Jewish identity that is part of Jewish identity.
1: I like. I'm just looking up a joke I read once again. I I th- this is a very Jewish joke to me. As the archangel uh, Gabriel appears to Daniel and he says, "Are you Daniel?" and Daniel says, "Depends who's asking." <laughs>
0: yeah, it's, it's classic. Yeah.
2: The doffers at every frame. Loudy Rifle Doll, Lally Rifle Day. On Monday morning when she comes in, she hangs her coat on the highest pin, turns around for to view her frames, crying, Damn you doffers, cry up your ends loudy Rifle Doll, the Rifle Day. And when the boss he looks round the door. Time up door first he will roar Well tie our hands up we surely do For Elsie Thompson but not for you Lally right old doll, lally right day Oh Elsie Thompson is going away Is it tomorrow or yet today We'll tie our ends up and leave our frames and wait for Elsie to return again. right rifle, all. I'll de rifle day.